Welcome to CTN, CIO Talk Network, with your host, Sunjo Gall. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are strictly those of the host, guests, and callers. Now, here's Sunjo Gall. Hello and welcome to this segment on CTN. To learn more, please visit CIOTalkNetwork.com. And our topic for today is future-proofing leadership strategy and culture. So we are talking about disruptive change literally every day. It's becoming the norm. Whether we should be dealing with an individual challenge or just be myopic and see which fire we need to fight today, is that how we should handle our leadership strategy and form our culture? Or should there be be a way to future-proof it so that we can have a relevant, a resilient, and a reliable organization that we can build? And to discuss that, we have uh, three esteemed guests. I'll start with Helen Norris, CIO of Chapman University. Hey, Helen, how are you? I'm good, Sanjog. How about yourself? Very good. Thank you. And we have Jim McLennan, CIO of IDEX Corporation. Hey, Jim, how is life? Uh, not too bad, and yourself? Very good, cannot complain. And we also have Sam Sudakar, CIO at California State University, San Bernardino. Hey, Sam, how's life for you? Pretty good, thank you. Thanks for having us. Definitely. It's an interesting conversation because we talk about future-proofing. This is becoming almost like a fad that anything we like for for cloud infrastructure or technology, we want to somehow future-proof it. So we fill it, shut it, and forget it. I'm not sure if it always happens that easily, but specifically talking about leadership strategy and culture. So I'll start with you, Helen. When we are looking at the kind of shifts that we are seeing here, and we are also anticipating things that are going to come down the pike, do you think we will always have uh, or we will be ahead of the curve when it comes to leadership and strategy? What's our confidence level today? Well, I think um, it's really important for us as as leaders. Uh, You mentioned future-proofing. I'm not sure that we can future-proof because we can't really see into the future always. But I think the critical thing for us as leaders is to be agile and flexible in our approach. You know, so what worked for us, much like with technology, what worked for us um, in in the past uh, isn't necessarily going to work for us in the future. So I, I think it's really important for us uh, to be open and to learning ways that we'll have to lead our organizations. You, you mentioned the cloud. In the past, before we we moved many of our technical resources to the cloud, we had to lead in a certain way because we had to think about uh, having the right uh, staff and and teams on board to keep our technical infrastructure running. We we really had an approach um, from an almost utilitarian perspective. We have to keep things running. Now as we move... um, our, our infrastructure and our, our critical systems into the cloud, our focus on our teams has to be different. It has to be more about being um, information brokers and business partners. So our focus as leaders has to, to shift to lead those new teams that are focusing on, in these different, probably little less technical areas and more strategic areas. So we have to... Um, evolve as leaders in terms of coaching our staff to work in these new environments. So 
always being agile and flexible and willing to try different ways to lead, and always as leaders be lifetime learners so that we can develop new skills as leaders to to deal with um, our new environments. So, Jim, when you are looking at the kind of organizations that you work with or are leading today, is there an expectation from people who are working within the organization or the leadership that they don't have to keep switching their leadership strategy and or culture and it can stay where it is, or maybe we continue to tweak it to optimize it, but we don't have to fundamentally revamp it. Is that what people expect? And have you seen that to be a reality? Um, Yes, great question, because Absolutely, I think people uh, expect that change should not happen. People don't like change. I'm talking about organizations, even though individuals do. And uh, really, it's because you know they're kind of focused on the here and now. Um, if you just help people step back and understand, change happens. If you look back at the last 5, 10, 15, 20 years, it's inevitable that change happens. Um, the better leadership teams understand that. The better leadership teams understand that. Uh, there's got to be an evolution. There's got to be, and sometimes when something significant happens, it, it might not be an evolution. It could be a revolution. Um, uh, it, I think that leadership needs to lead and understand and help and guide and, and um, educate that change happens. We can't uh, uh, can't really help it, and then and then really work that open and honest communication with every uh, uh, level of the company all the way up to the customer. To understand, um, you know how it will affect them. Sam, talking about leadership strategy, so it's a, it's a cool phrase, but then it also in a way tells that okay, I'm going to create one way or one template, if you will, how individuals who may come through many many years of a company's existence and they will follow or or just get in the box and lead it in a certain way, almost as if you were coming out with a degree in a certain style of leading. Is that realistic for an organization to create such boxes when it comes to leadership, or is it healthy? So the one-size-fits-all approach never works. Um, As organizations are emerging um, and new ways of doing business are are evolving, as Helen pointed out, um, we have to be agile to changing the, the processes to suit the different individuals who we have in our organization and allow them to fearlessly innovate. So we cannot uh, put them into, paint them into boxes and, and paint them to a corner, but allow them to innovate, allow them to fail uh, as we define and create the future. The only way you can future-proof yourself um, is by defining and creating the future while optimizing what you're doing currently. So uh, given what you're talking about here, uh, the way you are you're you're explaining that okay, there should not be any box that we put them in and we don't force them, which of course logically would make sense. But then, uh, coming back to you, Helen, would it not make it too individual dependent? And if a company was to sustain and was to sustain uh, and and stay healthy uh, through the different tests of time putting all of that onus on one individual's personality or personal or professional situations is way too risky. So damn if I do it, damn if I don't. 
it, it's true. I think um, what what companies can do or what organizations can do, we, we're talking a little bit about is the culture set by the leader and therefore is there a risk uh, around when if the leader departs or there's a change in leadership. I think... Um, as Sam pointed out, we have to be agile in terms of how we lead and be willing to have some flexibility there. But what we need to do to sustain is to have our leadership and our culture based on the, our organizational values. Um, so it's the organizational values don't shift over time, right? Uh, but how we choose to lead in the context of those organizational values is situational. So as long as we have kind of the guiding North Star of what our organizational values are, what our mission is, and this is, I think, especially true in a kind of a mission-driven organization, the leadership and the culture does shift and move over time, but they're always guided by that organizational um, the set of organizational values that are really the, the North Star for the organization. Uh, like Sam, I've, I've worked in higher ed for a long time. Universities have changed over the years, and, and people can make the argument that they need to change some more. But fundamentally, our mission and our values have stayed consistent. And so, you know, our mission is to educate students. Our values are about putting students first and about um, maximizing student success, that hasn't changed in decades. But how we lead in those uh, contexts of uh, a consistent organizational value as the environment changes, as technology changes, as demographics change, our leadership styles, our cultures do change, but our values don't. Jim, if I were to request you to speak uh, move around, or maybe when you do yourself voluntarily move across different organizations. Yes, the results that you have to deliver, yes, the organizational values that that are in place, you would observe them. Would, would you change your leadership approach and style? You mean if I, if I, <clears throat> different organizations within my current company or different companies? I'd say it could happen both. So if your company goes through an M&A or a disruption happens an organizational change happens or the product offering. So wherever you're going in the marketplace, that shifts or you move to a different organization. In either case, the values where the company is going, all of those are likely to change. But should that have a fundamental impact on the way the DNA of Jim as a leader, should that get impacted? Oh, or that's, yeah, uh, that's a really cool question. That, that's a really cool question because I think that there's a significant part of leadership that is how you personally interact and your level of emotional intelligence and your level to be able to connect with the people that you support and, and you know, your own personal style. You know, this is the act that I chose to, 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 to cut down this particular force, and I'm going to continue going. But you have to truly, you have to adopt it to um, what is important to the, the company and the organization you're with. What is their culture and what is their definition, definition of success? You know, it's always that big balance between, you know, is the goal to build a good company where the employees are highly engaged and the customers are really happy and or, or is the goal to build a really good stock where your earnings are super high and the revenue is always growing. Those two goals aren't always in concert with each other. And, you know, whatever the balance is, whatever the external forces are, that will have an impact on your leadership style, but absolutely your your 
personal style and how you, you know, get in the trenches and interact with uh, uh, people directly, that probably won't change. Let's take a quick break, listeners. We'll be right back. And Sam, when we come back, I'd like to continue on this subject about leadership style spanning different organizations or spanning different shifts. And not only that, but your risk propensity. So do you, as a leader, change your approach, your risk tolerance, or your ability for you to give the leeway to the organization to innovate? Should that change as well because business says, no, you got to do it my way? When we're talking leadership strategy, which transcends times, does organizations... Uh, dogmas or sometimes negatives should they overpower an individual leader's style and approach and values. Please stay tuned, listeners. We'll be right back. Today, enterprise technology is both strategic and global. Each week on CTN CIO Talk Network, IT thought leaders from around the world share their experience with listeners as they discuss with Sunjog All how they are trimming costs and partnering with business to innovate and help IT become more competitive, better care for customers, and improve the corporate bottom line. If you want to keep up with IT thought leadership, listen to CTN CIO Talk Network with Sunjog All at CIO Talk Network. You are listening to CTN, CIO Talk Network, with Sunjog Gall. To learn more about our program, please visit CIOTalkNetwork.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. So, Sam, risk propensity of an individual, the ability for that person to give the leeway to their team and him or herself to innovate. And of course, the style which Jim mentioned, he would not change his leadership style. But for the risk propensity and the leeway you give, organization might come from a KG mindset. And it might shift into open or it could be the other way around. It could move from better to worse or worse to better. Would that or should that have an impact on how you lead? So um, the propensity for risk uh, varies from organization to organization. And, uh, you know, we're, Helen and I are in higher education, and our students uh, and our faculty and staff are changing, and their demands are different today. Um, more and more as, as new students come in, we feel like, you know, we are a generation apart from them, uh, from the technology that they're used to and the, the, what they expect when they come to a campus. So um, we have to invest in and experiment with future technologies that we don't have any familiarity with. So that there is a risk propensity that comes with it that we have to be prepared to assume and be prepared to fail. So really, you, you really can't um, uh, define one particular strategy uh, or a, a set of strategies that will work for the institution and stick to them. You, you have to be very, very flexible in terms of defining and creating the future. Now, the, we don't know what the future is. We are creating the future as we go along um, while we are learning from the mistakes of the past. So there is, there is, a, there is a wide range, there is a spectrum of risk uh, averseness um, in organizations. But in higher education in particular, we have to be very flexible and very uh, be ready to fail while we invent and define the future. 
So Helen, based yeah, on the comment, yeah, go ahead, sure, Jim, go ahead. Can I dive in? The you know the interesting thing about this whole like uh, you have to be ready to fail. Um, you have to be really also um, uh, understanding of the culture that that people come from as they got to this point. Um, uh, yeah, startups and webs, uh, web uh, companies and stuff love this concept of uh, uh, you know fail fast. But the instant you mention that word fail, as in you know it's okay to fail, fail fast to most uh, corporations, people just clench up because. Failure is just not an option that is not built into their objectives. They exist to hit their objectives. And failure itself is a negative word. The concept everybody agrees with, but the, the word itself is hyper-negative. And so this is not my idea. I got it from uh, one of my vendors. Um, we don't talk about, you know, fail fast in uh, projects. We talk about you're testing hypotheses and your hypothesis was incorrect or correct, but that project was a success because you, you actually got a test completed. Uh, and it's something as minor as that. And that really helps people to sort of get beyond this, this fear because the fear of um, uh, failing is huge. So, so, you know, good point, uh, Jim, that what you mentioned is it's also in the verbiage, the way you communicate and the words that you use, because mm -hmm. that would take people or pull people back. So, so Helen, coming to the level at which we need to improvise. So Sam's point about we do not know the future. And then I, I, I buy that. Now, does that mean that we kiss this whole leadership strategy goodbye or future proofing goodbye? Because if we do that, then we are living in the moment, which is great for an individual who wants to have nirvana. But when you talk about organizational maturity and at the same time be able to capitalize on what's coming ahead from one day to another, you're not going to keep revamping or disrupting what you're creating every day because you're living in the moment. Yeah, I think it, it's important to balance that. And it's, and it's a challenge to balance that um, kind of what we need to do today against what's coming tomorrow and kind of predicting, or as Sam pointed out, the best way to predict the future is to design it yourself, you know, and so kind of preparing for that. I, I do think it gets back to basing things, basing your leadership style, um, basing your plans on principles that are deeply rooted in strategy so that uh, as you're preparing, and that I think can apply to today's situation and to what we need to do in the future. Uh, if, our, if we have a strategy at a, an organizational level about where we want the organization to be, we can tailor what we're doing right now to support that strategy, but also um, our planning for the future around that. I think as CIOs, uh, we're uniquely positioned to do this because we've actually had to do this for a long time, right? I, we've had situations where we've moved our our, our approach, um, even if you look at the recent shift from our, our on-premise and, and hosted solutions into the cloud, on a day-to-day -day basis, we had to manage those systems that were still on-prem while planning to move them to the future and planning to prepare our teams uh, for those new environments. So I think as leaders, it's incumbent on us to do both of them when we're thinking about the future. Um, it's not always crystal clear, but to prepare as much as we can and then as things shift, to be agile enough uh, to make 
tweaks in, in our approach to address those changes as they become more clear. So, uh, Jim, let's talk about the fact we are not aware of what the future holds for us, not maybe a distant future. But then would we not do something to assume some variables or maybe if nothing else, have a clarity on where we want to go? I know future will unfold. We don't know what's going to happen. There's going to be a tsunami or whatever. But we will not ex- ex- you know, uh, expect a bad uh, untoward hip event happening and which will bring us all down, we will hope that we will stay positive and we will be moving forward. And if we do that without having clarity of the future, how do we build that flexible leadership strategy which will allow leaders to continue to evolve themselves and also support the organization? There has to be some positive movement versus saying we don't know future, so we're going to climb down. Climb up, sorry. Well, I, I think that um, I, I think that uh, 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 the world knows that the future is going to change, and it is built into how everybody thinks. You know, finance. You know, most companies, and certainly most public companies, finance live for the forecast. What are your earnings going to be at the end of the quarter, at the end of the year, and next year? And vendors are always telling us, "Hey, you know, we've got to be, you know, we've got to install the latest version mm-hmm. of the software. The software is changing, so you got to upgrade your hardware." And even your customers. And customers are expecting new and different every time you come and talk to them about the latest features of your product. And the new employees that are coming in are expecting you to sort of get with the times and allow me to run my life from my cell phone. So we're surrounded by expectations that the future is going to change. It's not really a question of being flexible for the future. It's being uh, sort of, you know, how do you build in assuming that the future will change? How do you build that in now? It's It's getting back to the the principles of that overused term, change management. Do you have great communication and, and are you really open and honest with that communication? Do you encourage experimentation and do you actually try to tackle the hard stuff and not leave the, the difficult problems to tomorrow? That's something that you should not put off to tomorrow. So understand the block and tackle of change now because we all know that the future is changing. So, Sam, if you were to look at your organization, and I'm sure you are with them for a little bit, and there is a future, at least people are not saying, I'm only going to live for today. There is some futuristic thinking. Are you actually working on developing leaders within the organization who are going to take it forward and also would have a succession plan, which will make sure that there is a consistency in your leadership strategy? Uh, absolutely. We do that every day. Um, the uh, effective leadership necessitates that you create a succession plan and, um, uh, and leave uh, somebody who can take the organization to the next level as you transition out. So we do that every day. Uh, pr- uh, you know, succession planning is a part of our everyday strategy as we look at people moving within the organization or outside the organization. The, the main thing with succession planning is to prepare the leaders for uh, future-proofing the organization as we are doing it every day. So, for example, in higher education, you know, the, the notion has always been that we need to make students ready for the institution. We need to do everything uh, so that the students are ready to, um, to, take, to, take, to do what it takes to go through higher education. 
So um, now we're talking about a student-ready institution. Instead of the students being ready for the institution, the institution being ready for the students. Mm -hmm. Because the students are changing as they come along. We know um, what culture they're used to, uh, whether it's video gaming or what they're used to. And so we are trying to become a student-ready institution rather than expecting the students to be ready for us. So sort of uh, our way of future-proofing and saying, you know, if, if we are expecting the students to be ready to take the institution, uh, to take college-level courses and be successful in college, um, we might not be um, agile enough uh, for the student success that we are all aiming for. Rather, the institution needs to put in place mechanisms that we are ready to receive them at the level they come to us in our institutions and push them towards success. Let's talk a little bit about culture. So, Helen, when you think about a robust culture and something which is conducive for overall well-being of the organization and its people, and it will also be resilient so that whatever comes its way, it is able to uh, maneuver through it or handle it and does not crumble. What would it take to build such a culture? I think when you think about um, culture, there's a couple of thoughts that come to mind. A a resilient and a robust culture is based on um, the principles like integrity, um, respect for the employees. uh, I'm going to use the term customer service, the one uh, a customer first, or in our case, a student first mentality. Uh, building your organizational culture on those uh, tenets is, is something that uh, will help it be more robust and to to stand the test of time. I, I do also want to say that we often hear the word culture used in a negative way, or at least I have through my career, where uh, when you are trying to institute some kind of organizational change, um, a lot of times you'll hear, but our culture is, is that doesn't fit with our culture and, and having it used in a more negative way. I will say that the, cus- the culture is really about the people. So when we think about changing culture, what we're really talking about is changing ourselves and our own behavior so that when we um, want to build a more resilient culture and a stronger culture and a more positive culture, it's really built about building ourselves as better leaders leaders and, and um, employees and focusing on things like respect, integrity, innovation, hard work. That, that's how we build the culture is by... Um, instilling those values into the organization. I I do agree with something that Jim said earlier. Um, We all like to to say, you know, you can fail and you can fail fast. But in many organizations, um, that that is a difficult uh, message to get across for, for IT people. We've been rewarded in the past for having a consistent um uh, for being for being consistent and for being 
for having things run well, and, and that flies in the face of kind of a fail-fast mentality. So if you want to adjust the culture to have that more innovative approach, it, you do have to be pretty intentional about it. So being intentional about providing rewards to people who um, adjust the culture in the way that you want it, I think is very, very important. Let's take a quick break, listeners. We'll be right back. And Jim, when we come back, let's further talk about the culture because we are talking about it to be robust. We want it to help stand the test of time. But at any given time, it cannot be... uh, We should not be focusing on future-proofing it when it is a moving target and it is not even healthy to the optimum level even at its current state. So when everything is in flux... Culture itself is struggling to stay healthy. How do you future-proof something which is not healthy today? Please stay Mm -hmm. tuned, listeners. We'll be right back. Today, enterprise technology is both strategic and global. Each week on CTN CIO Talk Network, IT thought leaders from around the world share their experience with listeners as they discuss with Sunjoke All how they are trimming costs and partnering with business to innovate and help IT become more competitive, better care for customers, and improve the corporate bottom line. If you want to keep up with IT thought leadership, listen to CTN CIO Talk Network with Sunjoke All at CIO Talk Network. You are listening to CTN CIO Talk Network with Sunjoe Gall. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. So, Jim, culture needs to work today, and it should be in the best state possible in terms of state of health for it to be able to support and be conducive for the organization. But given the flux that we are in, and everything is moving, even culture is becoming fuzzy or the state of culture, whether it is the best for this current state or not, that's becoming fuzzy. When it's not healthy or we're not aware that it's healthy, how on earth can anyone think about future-proofing it? What's the recipe there then? Well, I think, I mean, all companies have cultures and all successful companies have cultures, but the cultures could be what, you know, uh, a sort of a humanist would consider um, oh, that's a great culture. Everybody loves working there, or that is a meat grinder, and no one loves working there. But as long as they stick to their culture consistently and you know what it is going in, you can't necessarily argue that that's a bad thing. Consistency is better than quality, right, or, or, or goodness, um, which is one interesting way of thinking about it. But I think when you talk about future-proofing things, I like to think that there's uh, it, it kind of gets down to uh, you have to have a culture that supports uh, and recognizes that we're here to create value. We have three different um, constituents, right? Uh, shareholders and employees and customers. And it's always that balance between, depending on what the, 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 the external forces are doing, are you leaning a little bit more towards good company? Or are you leaning a little bit more towards good stock? And at the same time, are you still supporting your customers? Because without customers, the company goes away. Um, and so, so understanding that that culture has to deal with those uh, uh, driving forces of we're being driven to create a good stock, we're being driven to create a good company. Now, that, by the way, is politically correct way, uh, way of saying good, building a good stock is we're going to slash costs 
and drive for revenue and kind of work people really hard. Uh, uh, and yeah, but we're, and it may not be that great of a company to work for, but, but the stock will survive for a while. As opposed to, hey, when we can, we'll invest in the employees and we'll make it a funner place to work and more flexible and more hands to the task, but that brings your earnings down and makes it less of a good stock. So um, you, you, you always have to balance that and realize that neither one of those is the number one obvious correct way to do it. And if you have a culture and a process that allows you to balance between the different ways of uh, um, creating value, then, uh, then I think it's future-proof because you can, you can adapt. If you think that you're going to establish a culture that's going to, um, beyond the obvious things around integrity and honesty and open communication, which have to be there, um, but, but, you know, you got to have some, some, some flexibility in some of the edges of what you define as culture. Sam, it's an interesting thing you mentioned, adaptability. Would you consider a healthy culture automatically also means adaptable? Absolutely. Um, you know, we have to be adaptable, especially in the technology arena, because things are so rapidly changing, things are evolving, and there's a geopolitical um, uh, twist to the things that are emerging. Um, what uh, the technology that propels to the future depends on what is happening around the world. So uh, we have to be agile, as Helen mentioned, and you know we have to be adaptable all the time, especially in the field of technology, especially when the demands and expectations of our customers are rapidly changing and evolving. So, Sam, my question was, what you said definitely makes sense that we have to be adaptable. I'm referring to the culture, and Jim mentioned that, uh, yes, you will have to have the culture to be adaptable, but can you have someone run a sprint or a marathon if the person him or herself is not in the best physical state. I'm trying to draw a parallel here so that if culture, if it's, what are those elements or what are those pillars of that culture which need to stay healthy so that you can make it do well today and also expect that it will do well tomorrow given the situations thrown at it and it will stay resilient? Yeah, so it starts with the leadership, right? Uh, the leadership has to have uh, a solid vision of where we are heading in terms of not which technology we are heading towards, but what we are about. In higher education, we talk about student success and all the technologies that we can put in place to ensure that our students have the environment to be successful. So uh, the culture is created from the leadership from the top, and we have to create a culture within the organization uh, that fosters and supports innovation in whatever form it might come to us and uh, create um, a safe space for people to fail. So um, there are many employees within the organization who are excellent in what they do, but they always want to be right. They always want to be successful. They want the project that they're working on uh, to create value for the organization. But sometimes that might not be the case. About you know, we, uh, At any point in time, we work on 25 30 different innovative projects, um, only five or six of them might, uh, might be successful, the others might fail. So it's, it's about creating a culture of innovation, uh, creating an environment that fosters uh, the innovation and an environment that allows people to experiment and fail. 
so, and, and learn uh, from their mistakes. Sure. So, so Helen, I'd like to pick up on what uh, Sam mentioned about success and, and the measure of a good culture is that it drives success. Well, if you think about uh, culture, should it not be an environment which allows people to maximize their potential and use the resources available to them, harness the most value out of it, to serve the very customers who they uh, this organization is built for. And that's a journey. And success mm-hmm. is an intermediate milestone. Do you think a culture should be driven f- towards successes or driven towards maximizing the potential of people and maximum use of resources to create sustained value? Well, I think that um, the culture... If I understand your question correctly, I, I think it can do, we need to focus on all three. Uh, you know, in terms of maximizing people's potential, as we maximize their potential, we're going to drive them to have successes. So in that way, the culture will drive success while it's simultaneously maximizing the potential um, of, of the individuals. Uh, One of the things I I think can be very helpful to do, Sam mentioned that a lot of this comes from the leader. The leader uh, sets the the tone for the culture. Uh, But if the culture is intended to maximize the potential of the individuals and also serve the customers, one of the things that could be a very helpful uh, technique for the leaders is to consider doing some sort of reverse mentoring um, program whereby as a leader we're being mentored by our staff and by our in my case by our students and really listening to those different perspectives in order to provide input to the culture as to what the what a success really is. So learning from all of those different aspects of all of those different stakeholders in, in uh, the organization, I think, is really critical to building a culture that can contribute to success while also um, maximizing the potential of, of the individuals. I, I also like the phrase that you used a little bit earlier where you talked about, um, is it reasonable to expect our people to, to do a marathon or to do a sprint if they're not in shape. And so I think what we have to remember is that in our organizations, we do have some people who are built more for a marathon and some who are built more for a sprint. So using um, our staff, putting them in positions where they can uh, maximize their own potential, not asking a sprinter to do a marathon or a marathoner to do a sprint, uh, can really maximize the success uh, that we that we have uh, as an organization. Jim, an interesting area, which is future of work. A lot of technological disruptions, a lot of different ways people are thinking about a human would work alongside a digital worker, a bot. We are talking yeah. about companies going under or becoming a billion, you know, gets a billion worth of billion dollars worth of valuation in a matter of months. And you got companies no longer even having any boundaries or even any offices or any assets and still make billions. So you, you talk about things, it's mind numbing. And in that environment, not that age-old enterprises which have very set ways of doing things or it has very set, tried and old, tested approaches to how business is run. Do you think 
future proofing is only for those not monolithic or static, but still a more conservative organizations who run the traditional way? Or is that something which should be even uh, fathomed for this new way of running? Because even the traditional companies may fold if they don't adopt the newer way of working and the newer flexibility and mobility that we are offering. Well, I think at a high level, that's a correct statement. Uh, but, you know, the magic is really getting into the details and specifics of what that means for this specific company, for this specific sort of innovation. Um, let's take a specific example. Um, uh, so in my world, industrial products, um, everybody says that IoT and the nature of the product will be, um, you know, the data that surrounds the operation of that device that you're trying to uh, to put out in the field. Um, but uh, at the end of the day, and we're absolutely seeing this, in uh, the market right now, at the end of the day, regardless of any data, we are the guys that make a pump that pumps the stuff, the really difficult stuff, from A to B. And that's where the magic, at the end of the day, you still have to get that stuff pumped. It's, it's the last mile of functionality, as it were. And so uh, disruptions, uh, you know, the first level, can you apply consumer-style IoT to something like that? No. The, the analogies people run to that, that are that simple are, are sort of breathless and, and like, no, it's never going to happen. Don't worry about it. However, <clears throat> if you really then dig into what it means, you understand that there is a, there's a, a, a financial model that sells. I don't have to sell high-quality pumps. I don't have to sell high-quality components. I can sell junk as long as I uh, have a, enough data being gathered to go out and fix it uh, before it breaks down. I can sell you junk, but if, I, if I'm not selling you a high-quality part, I'm going to guarantee that the part never fails because I'll always be out there and fixing it before it fails. And if you can make that work financially, then you can truly disrupt. And so it's really not about um, um, you know, uh, disrupting or innovation in the in area of, of data. It's really in, uh, disrupting in the area of, of monitoring the data and, and, and a distribution or a service arm that can, that can fulfill that level of uh, um, service. So you have to sort of understand, uh, you know, how realistic and how near-term a given uh, innovation is. On the other hand, you can't blindly go about it and say, well, no one will ever replace our pumps. They're awesome. Um, no, it's just a matter of time, but you have to just be a little bit realist, more realistic about how specifically it hits your strategy, either where you play, what you do, or how you win, one of those three. So, um, Helen, a quick question for you, given where you are, and in fact, Sam, I would also like you to chime in in this, like given higher ed, both of you are in higher ed, and I would not say they're always conservative, but they would move at their own pace. And a lot of times we will keep looking back to see where we are coming from versus seeing where we are going. And so that means level of innovation may not be as at par with the digital native organizations. So do you think an organization should first evaluate that is future proofing even for them? Like, is it even relevant for them before they go crazy? So, Jim, no, uh, so, so, yeah, go ahead, Helen. Oh, go ahead, Sam. Yeah, so, so no, I, I was actually saying to you, Helen, that would you say that there is a case to be made before you jump in in terms of future-proofing for an industry like higher ed, which has chosen to move at a certain pace and it invariably looks backwards and says, 
okay, this is where we are coming from. We have a noble goal of making better citizens and better students and not something funky like what people are doing today in the di digital native organizations. So yes, future-proofing is not I, for you then? I, I, I think a couple of things. I, I, I'd echo some of Jim's remarks that um, we do sometimes hear of things that were disruptors are coming and that it, it turns out to be a little different than, than advertised. In, in recent years, for example, um, we've had conversations in higher ed about whether or not MOOCs, massive online um, courses, would disrupt higher education, and, and they really have not. So there is a danger that because we look backwards and because there is been an example of where a disruption has, hasn't really disrupted us, that we become a little complacent and we focus a, a lot on, on the, the backward-looking piece. So while I don't think that higher ed has to um, move like a digital native company, I, I think we have a lot to learn from what we've done in the past. I still think it's important for us to be thinking about the future. I, I don't think the future means that... Um, bricks and mortar universities are going away to be replaced by online universities, but bricks and mortar universities are going to change, and there are going to be online universities, and so and there already are. And so we have to, and our, as Sam pointed out, our students are coming in with different expectations. So while when we think about the future, it may not be about what's the next great, you know, technical widget we're going to produce, but it is thinking about how are we going to have innovative ways to deliver education. Um, and that can be examples of, you know, in the past, uh, we used to have a very, a very big focus on lecture, I think, um, we call the faculty member kind of a sage on the stage. And now it's more about collaborating with the students um, and the faculty member being the guide at the side, as, as people say. Students have to leave the university prepared for this digital world, too. You know, so people who are leaving, students that we are graduating and they're going to go to work for people like Jim, they need to be ready to work in a digital environment, too. So we have to change how we prepare them for that. So while I don't think that there's um, a whole new, complete new widget coming out, there is massive change in how we have to prepare our students. So let's take a quick break, listeners. We'll be right back. And uh, Sam, when we come back, I'd like to ask if we are to look at future-proofing, should we be thinking about what is going to happen tomorrow and accordingly we will react then or we start putting some stakes in the ground with some prediction and i know like like uh, helen mentioned that online universities are going to be many more in number and they will be giving you a tough competition so are you or any organization like yours and i'm not going to pick on this industry alone but isn't the fact that your or any, any organization reacts to a threat and then the movement happens is also a culture? So for us to future-proof, shouldn't we have to first remove that negative aspect of a culture where we are only reacting when there is a threat of relevance or threat of existence? How should we first remove it so that we can think future-proofing? Let's talk about it when we come back. Please stay tuned. 
Today, enterprise technology is both strategic and global. Each week on CTN CIO Talk Network, IT thought leaders from around the world share their experience with listeners as they discuss with Sunjog All how they are trimming costs and partnering with business to innovate and help IT become more competitive, better care for customers, and improve the corporate bottom line. If you want to keep up with IT thought leadership, listen to CTN CIO Talk Network with Sunjog All at CIO Talk Network. You are listening to CTN CIO Talk Network with Sunjo Gall. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. So, it's based on the conversation and comments made by Helen about uh, the organizations, you know, this industry academic. Uh, academia is looking at things and uh, looks inwards and makes sure that we are moving forward, but you still have competition. So so moving out of that industry-centric conversation, Sam, if an organization is primarily designed or the culture there today is that we will only react when the risk goes higher or we are really risking our uh, relevance or existence, Shouldn't what, what would you do? Not rather shouldn't, but what would you do to remove that approach before you go about future-proofing future uh, that culture? So, you know, H- Helen was right on point uh, in saying that there are several disruptions that have come in the past that really didn't, uh, didn't pan out, right? So as we look into the future, there are several things that we think are going to disrupt an industry um, and it might not. It might to some extent. For example, the MOOCs uh, moved our industry, slightly shifted our industry more to the online world rather than completely redefining higher education as an online industry, right? So um, as we look to the future and the trends, we have to experiment with what we think are going to disrupt and be prepared if they in fact disrupt and turn the industry upside down. Uh, while also being prepared for that not to happen. So it's, it's several irons in the fire. It's not uh, one particular direction we're all headed to. Um, and, you know, there's always going to be students who need that wide spectrum of services. There's, there are students who never want to, um, or customers who never want to come to um, a, a place where you interact with a human being. There are customers who would like to do half and half, and then there are customers who like that uh, human touch. And there's always going to be that spectrum of students, customers that we are faced with. So we have to be prepared uh, to deliver our products and services to uh, every combination uh, of customer. So, uh, you know, you can't define yourself just in, in one area and uh, say the rest of them, you know, have to adapt to our method of delivery of services. Rather, we say we cater to every, uh, every uh, flavor of customer that comes to us. So, uh, Jim, one final question for you. Uh, when you talk about future-proofing, we spoke about leadership strategy and culture future-proofing. Who should take responsibility for it and who should trigger it? Should it be the same set of people? <clears throat> well, it's an interesting question because I think most people would say, you know, strategy is owned by the CEO, uh, but uh, certainly in a lot of public companies, the CEO's job is very outward-facing, right? His responsibility is to uh, um, 
understand you know, the financial uh, markets and kind of how the street perceives us and stuff like that. He's got a role in messaging. He's certainly got a role in high-level culture. Uh, but then you got to throw the COO in there as well because he's the one that's responsible for actually delivering the goods and, 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 and focusing on how we operate. And then you've got specific people inside of the organization that um, uh, part of their job almost uh, is baked into looking at the future uh, in, in a really local organization. It won't just be the finance lead. It will be also your uh, technology lead, IT, your R&D lead, product development, and uh, marketing and sales and emphasis on the marketing side, understanding where the markets are going. So I really think it's the executive team has to set uh, 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 the tone, tone at the top, and be open to that and, and build that in as part of the ongoing uh, strategy and message, certainly on the HR side as well. Don't let me forget them. That's key. It's all about the people. Um, but then but then that leadership has to sort of reach into the uh, organization and find the people that are really close to the customer, uh, which is where, where all the magic is happening, and, and get them involved in the conversation as well. 30 seconds, Helen. Three words that come to mind which we should embrace or leaders should embrace so that they can help future-proof the leadership strategy and culture. Three words. Uh, agility, uh, flexibility, and collaboration. On behalf of the show and our listeners, thanks so much, uh, Helen, Jim, and Sam, for sharing your thoughts on future-proofing the leadership strategy and culture so that we don't only thrive and survive today, but we do well in the future as well. Thanks so much, and uh, uh, hope, listeners, you liked us on Facebook. Search for CTN CIO Talk Network, and be sure to follow us on Twitter. Thank you again for listening to this segment on CTN. This is Sanjog All, your talk show host. Till next week, take care, and God bless. Thank you for tuning in to CTN, CIO Talk Network, with your host, Sunjoe Gall. To learn more about our program or for show archives, comments, or questions, please visit CIOTalkNetwork.com. Thank you again for listening.